0: Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabragau clan of the Darag Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the Elders both past and present and future of the Darag Nation.
1: I got given $200 from the managing director, and she's like, Lynn, go do something with International Women's Day. And I think she was expecting me to organise some like cupcakes and morning tea yeah. for the office. <laughs> Um, which is fine and I was like well but this is a task from the managing director I'm gonna do something cool I'm gonna try and do something that makes me stand out
2: hi friends welcome to our podcast a seat at our table candid conversations about the creative pursuits of Asian Australians I'm Tracy I'm Wendy we We saved saved your seat come come join us. us
0: Hi everybody. In this episode we are joined by Lynn Dieppe, a two-time winner in BNT's 30 under 30 agency account management category. She's a business manager by day and the founder and CEO of a sisterhood by night. A Sisterhood is Australia's leading not-for-profit mentorship program connecting underrepresented people with diverse strategy leaders in marketing, client services, design, creative, tech, strategy and business leadership disciplines. Today we'll be chatting to Lynn about the importance of mentorship and how we can best support young and underrepresented people in the industry. Welcome Lynn. Welcome.
1: <gasps> thank you. Thank you. I'm doing virtual claps but I don't want to do the clapping because it's just gonna ruin the sound. Oh, yeah your microphone just everyone's eardrums as <laughs> listen
0: to this but no we're so excited to have you on the podcast. I mean thank you. Tell us about your cultural background and upbringing and how this has influenced you today. We always like to start I guess from the beginning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm Vietnamese, so I was born in Australia. Um, my parents came over in the Vietnam War as refugees, um, but I was very fortunate to yeah grow up in Sydney, then move to the Gold Coast, had the very classic moment of we're going to go on a holiday to the Gold Coast. And then we loved it so much that we stayed there. So that's wow. <laughs> kind of what happened. Um, so I did a lot of my schooling life up in Queensland where at the time my sister and I were the only Asian kids in our school so there wasn't any sort of um I guess anyone else that looked like us um and we were the probably the kids that stood out from just aesthetically and therefore were probably picked on a little bit Mm -hmm. because of that um on TV I guess so you spend a lot of time watching TV as a kid you don't see other people that look like you as well so that kind of magnified that effect that we were different and we didn't fit in mm. but then I guess like the only people that did look like us were in a community an hour away which is where in um in Brisbane in a suburb called Anala where it is a big commu- Vietnamese community where we drive every weekend to get groceries yeah. <laughs> Um, and there were people that did look like me and I understood the language, but I didn't really identify with them either because my upbringing was very like Australian orientated, sports, mm. school, et cetera. So I definitely felt a sense of lack of community around me as I was growing up. I think that really put a seed in my mind to look for communities. And I think mm. as I started to progress through school and started to get my first job, I really found two sort of really great communities um one of those being sport my swimming community like I really fell in love with swimming and it's so easy to do that when you're in Queensland and it's warm yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so swimming and just like competing and being with my team there was like about 20 to 30 of us at all were working towards like similar goals wanting to be really good um so that was probably my first community. And then my problem, my second community, was starting to find jobs that aligned with things that I wanted to do. So mm. uh, wanting to do well in the job and then finding people, similar people that also wanted to do well in a job as well. So yeah. So I think that sort of changed my mind about what culturally community wise, what was important. But what I did yeah. sort of realize that was um I guess important for me was finding a good supportive community around me and it didn't necessarily have to line back to being cultural community as the one central place
0: um so yeah yeah just being accepted and feeling like you belong in this place you know
1: yeah totally completely um so yeah it's been challenging and I think over the last like in recent times, there's been more of those sorts of stories. Like you both um, demonstrate those stories, um, very similar backgrounds to myself as well. Mm. So those stories are starting to come out. And I think what I've realized is like a lot of us struggled um, during yeah. that time of identity and, you know, growing up through the system. And But now we've got really great programs um, and really good things in place
2: where people are starting to share that a bit more, which is really great. So hopeful yeah. <laughs> for this next generation coming through. I love that theme of community and I can't wait to dig into it. Um, how has like your upbringing influenced your career tra- trajectory and what you ended up doing and what you do today? It's a
1: really great question. Um, I think like I I always like to go into these sorts of things and I, it's such a good reflective exercise <laughs> for this. And one of the things that I've really honed in on, like with refugee parents, they had everything to lose like they like, literally lost everything. So mm-hmm. they really instilled this sense of um grabbing opportunities with both hands um in me and like chasing opportunities, finding them. Um, and a really strong like can do attitude um that probably is stronger than others around me, particularly in my when I was going through school. If you're comparing, like, someone's parents that had, like, come over and travelled in a boat to, like, you know, su- for survive, versus someone that had been living in Australia and didn't really have a lot of life struggles, I, it is all relative. But just that scale of grabbing opportunities and also potentially going hand in hand with the pressure of wanting to grab all the opportunities and making sure you capitalise them, those yeah. were the sorts of things that um, really shaped my drive and my ambition today so which is good and bad there's good and bad with both of those things (laughs) because you put immense pressure on yourself to perform um but I think that drive you just need
0: to channel it in a healthy way um towards what you want to do so yeah yeah so you're currently a business manager I guess in the advertising industry like have you always Wanted to do that job. Like, how did you land in the job you are in today? (laughs) Um, that's a really great question. Uh, I didn't know what advertising
1: was when I was going through school. I didn't know what marketing was. Um, didn't know that you could do that as a job. When I like, this is probably going to sound like um a similar theme to your past interview um as well. But like, my three career prospects growing up were. Doctor, lawyer, dentist yes. um, <laughs> were my three. Those were my three. Um, fourth was like possibly an accountant, but like that's only if the other three failed. So um, I dedicated a lot of energy into becoming a doctor um, going mm. through school. Um, I got the grades, landed in the role, got into first year med, actually got into straight into second year med because I went to a wow. spe- special school wow. that accelerated the first year, like so you didn't have to do the first year and um yeah and then i got in and then i completely bombed out in that year at university just because i don't think you you realize how much of that first year is all about creating structures and relearning how school worked and like making friends mm-hmm. and figuring out how that system sort of operates and add that to the pressure of a medicine degree where you're working like 40 you're studying 40 hours a week to like help people essentially so um that didn't work I that didn't work out for me (laughs) so I dropped out of that um what I did next I went into a business degree because that was a generalist sort of degree um that I thought I could channel my energy into and Try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life after spending twelve years of my life working towards becoming a coming year doctor. So, <laughs> um, I wanted to create and build something, um, yeah. but not sure. And wanted to work with people in a way and impact people in a way. But yeah, started to work in business and I studied accounting and marketing. Accounting because it was my fourth option, you know, after my three <laughs> options, and, <laughs> and marketing because I kind of liked the idea of creating a brand and the communication of that brand and the articulation of what that meant in the world and then that's when i started to learn about um agencies so guest speakers coming in and talking about the people that were behind making the ads um, that you see on tv that you see billboards and just understanding the strategies that go behind and i'm like that's kind of a really cool job and then I I think that was similarly when Gruen was happening as well, mm, like yeah. on TV. So those sorts of two things I was like, oh my God, these are cool, really, really cool jobs that I could see myself um doing. So um I try to get in and that did it happen as easily as I thought it would um I think accounting was a really structured sort of entry level career career pathway like grad roles that you can see like consultants blah 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 Mm. um all the way to through to partner and there were clearly four different companies with like mid-tier companies as well and that was really straightforward um but marketing was like who do you even talk to? Like, where Where are (laughs) the
2: companies?
1: Where are the people? Um, And that was when social media was still, like, starting to happen as well. So what I ended up doing was starting a university club at uni as a way to connect with industry leaders because there was pretty much a university club for every part of business, like a club for financial management, one for banking, one for economics, one for, like, literally everything, but there wasn't anything for marketing and advertising. And so I thought, why don't we just create one? Um, <laughs> why don't we just create a club? Um, use that as a way to connect with industry leaders and get them to come in and be the people that were speaking at events and stuff. But also positioned myself as the the founding president, which sounds really yeah. you know amazing and you know something with gravitas. And then use LinkedIn as a way to connect with all these amazing people. And I just shot out like heaps of LinkedIn messages because I had nothing to lose at that point. And then what I realized was people well people were saying yes um, to those opportunities, like to the coming in. I don't think I ever got a no in that first couple of years of LinkedIn blasts, which was crazy and eye-opening for me. And so from there, I didn't land the job immediately straight away so I kind of went into a grad role uh, within the account like I became a financial auditor my first year out of uni um very quickly knew that it wasn't for me um in my first (laughs) in my first two weeks I was like nah this is not for me (laughs) um but I had done an internship at a agency before I took that role so they didn't have anything full-time for me at the time but they did later on so that was how I got my first job um, I just, um, it was one of those speakers that came in and I was had a connection with her and they were looking for a junior role and that's how I got in, but it wasn't for without lack of trying yeah. and like, it's so hard to get in. So, but now these days, like the, the club that I, that was started is still operating and thriving yeah. like eight years on. And I hope that they have created way better pathways than what I was able to do because yeah. it not everyone is like me um (laughs) you are such a go-getter like from the start (laughs) I'm like she is a (laughs) go-getter um so yeah like what my end goal would be is like how does the average person get this sort of job because there's only certain like certain amounts of go-getters, A-list type
0: personalities that are able to break down the door in the same way that I do. So, yeah. Yeah. I totally relate to the experience, like going into marketing. I only found out about advertising through a guest speaker. And then after that, I was like, how do I even get into this industry? Like there are no pathways at all. And it's literally like get a foot in the door anywhere that will accept you. And then once you're in, you can make your way through. But it was a really tough spot to be in to try to get into this industry when nobody talks about it at least in uni. It wasn't even the career path people really widely discussed. So Yeah. Yeah, I am seeing that changing now with more kind of pathways into the industry. But yeah, back then it was quite difficult. Mm. (laughs) So definitely relate to your story.
1: Yeah. And probably the other thing that was um, a barrier for me was, again, not knowing what the roles were Mm. um, that exist within comms. Like there's so much that you can do. Um, And then probably the other thing is like not seeing anyone that looked like me in those roles either again. So just, yeah, that's really hard um, to kind of see yourself in those roles um, without having someone ahead of you to be like, oh, you know, I've done it. I've done this pathway and talking about it a
2: bit more. So, yeah. yeah, I think apart from like even just getting into the industry, it's like when you're in the industry just seeing examples of like how far you can go with your career trajectory and stuff as well. Like having examples or role models who look like you and have come from a similar background is also so important. Um, Mm. So I'm I'm curious to know what has been your experience with diversity and inclusion now that you're in the industry, like are there any negative or positive stories?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's actually probably the question from, that I struggled with the most coming into mm. this chat, um, which is so demoralizing, right? Because like I just struggled to find an example and I think I landed on one, which is um, good in the end because I'm like I'm part of this diversity and inclusion and changing that yeah. too. Um, I think what I've been able to do with the platform of like the club, the university club, and now even with the Sisterhood Today as well is just trying to spotlight on like I've always shied away from the spotlight of my own personal story. Um, because I was just kind of like, I just did this, 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 this. But what I've sort of tried to do with the last maybe two to three years is hone in on this like the catalysts and the stories and the whys of my own journey and tried to find more platforms to talk about it um, more. So I've actively put my hand up and said like I would love to do the podcast or I'd love to speak at a university thing or I'd like to be yeah. at a conference or like to do the thing and i think going to those sorts of events i've had so many people come up to me that look like that have come from like a culturally like a cultural asian background um or a female young female coming through um and they've said thank you so much for doing that um i never have gone up to the speaker before but I am doing it for the first time because I like connected with your story. So I think that's a really nice way to personally do that, but that's not without me personally trying to create those opportunities myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think at the same time, there are definitely champions in the industry that have carved out and are trying to do them to that as well. Like I know, um, Andy Wright from Never Not Creative. He, I remember him talking about it once, and he's like, "I'm a, you know, a white middle aged man, and obviously running a, a successful company." But whenever I ask, get asked to speak at a panel, I ask the organizer, "What kind of person are you looking for? Slash, what kind of experience um, are you trying to look for in selecting me?" And let me suggest three other people. And he tries mm. to co- like create create opportunities for three mm. other women or three other diverse. Um, people to take that spot instead so I think there's a role around that which is what we're sort of trying to channel some energy around at the moment and trying to showcase some more
0: stories yeah I I think I feel like the theme of your stories is like community building and connection that feels like a really important element for you and then obviously I think I think you're such a go-getter so you're creating those opportunities for yourself as well in the industry which is pretty incredible I guess one achievement we want to talk about is you're a two-time winner in BNT's 30 under 30 category for agency account management category so in 2021 and 2022 can Mm. you tell us a little bit about what that was and then kind of the biggest learning that you got out of that that you want to pass out to young people in the industry today
1: yeah totally um it's a really i'm gonna say it's a really great question because all these questions are really great (laughs) questions
0: (laughs) Uh, we try all (laughs) this
1: but um thank you um thank you it's a it's a big deal um it is a big deal lending national awards like that Mm, um i what i like to say to that question is before those two wins i was also shortlisted the year before that so the 2020 but also tried in 2019 and didn't get Mm. anything so those are two probably also really key achievements leaning into that as well that people don't really talk about like Mm -hmm. people often talk about the big win but they don't really talk about the steps leading into that so for me I this goes back to me wanting to understand my story and learning to practice talking about it um right and writing it out and shaping something around that so I just wanted to give it a go, um, mostly because I saw other peers um, doing it around me as well and they were getting success. And I thought, eh, I can give it a go. But how hard can it be? It's four questions um, <laughs> with 300 words. It's fine. Um, so that first year, um, I, yeah, didn't make it, um, but that's okay, And but I also did. T- did it myself and I didn't share it with anyone else. I didn't share any drafts around. I only spent like two days on it and that wasn't enough time and Mm -hmm. not enough effort um, into doing it. And it's mostly because I was in my own head and thought imposter syndrome. Why would I even think about doing it? Yeah. All those sorts of things. Um, so second year I thought, okay, reflect on the moment. What, what's one thing you can do better this year. And that next year I started a lot earlier and I shared it with some, um, a couple of people as well, which helped shape the story a little bit more. Um, and they had some really great insights, which was really nice. And they're like, you're actually talking about yourself in not the best way. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so they helped me, articulate it better Mm -hmm. um so that year I got shortlisted which was really cool um just to be in that experience of like being able to go to the awards and meet other amazing people um especially someone that was working in Brisbane at the time like being able to meet people in Sydney people in Melbourne that were doing amazing excellent work and I'm like ah I can be amongst these people so I'm on a similar sort of circle with these guys which is incredible and gives you so much confidence. Um, so those were really good examples again of shaping my story. And then yeah, the next year, again, just more help starting earlier, starting and doing the same thing. Um, but I had more wins under my belt at that time. So like I'd start like a sister had had been in its um third or fourth year by that point. Like some really good events and workshops and getting really good results again. And so the win sort of happened, which was Really amazing and really great, and I remember the moment in the room. Um, and it was so good that it was in the room and not virtual as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. for that. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest learnings from that is like it's not an immediate overnight success; like it yep. takes time um, and to like lean in on help from people around you um, and use your community around you to support you and champion you as well to help shape that. Because um, I definitely didn't do it on my own Um, that win is shared with other people for sure so such as me
0: there is a level of imposter syndrome like you said like oh am I good enough to be even nominating myself for these categories so yeah Mm. and then bringing people along for it and they're like can you review this like (laughs) it's totally intimidating so it's such an incredible achievement yeah thank you you know the mental battle but then also getting it in and it's I think it's it's really inspiring thank you um let's shift the conversation to
2: a sisterhood now how did a sisterhood come about tell us about the story of it all
1: yeah um a sisterhood is a mentoring program um, that basically connects coming through talent with senior talent in the comms industry and we're across not just creative and media but all parts of the communication vertical so research, client-side roles, publisher side, production side, tech and design Um, and the reason why we've decided to take on all of those industries within the communication vertical is because we're all working towards The same thing, and that's commercial creativity and driving business results. So, all of these people and generally all these roles intersect at some point. So, you kind of need to build those relationships. And I think when you start in the industry, you don't really know what types of roles exist out there as well. And also, a really great commercial um, or great creative commercial solution might not be a traditional. TV ad, it might be something that taps into tech or taps into design or taps into really great research that then li- links to this beautiful tech idea. So I think the inter- intersection of all of those um, is really valuable and one of, that's what we're trying to connect with the sisterhood. But in terms of how it started, so it started as an idea in the back of a taxi and I was tasked with um, looking after International Women's Day, my first year in my first agency role. And I got given $200 from the managing director. She's like, Lynn, go do something with International Women's Day. And I think she was expecting me to organize some, like, cupcakes and morning tea for the office, (laughs) um, which is fine. And I was like, well, but this is a task from the managing director. I'm going to do something cool. I'm going to try and do something that makes me stand out. So uh, I think at the time, I remember coming across a stat that said um, 70, 70% of learning comes from experience. And I also had noticed as well that Simone, um, our managing director at that agency, was the only female managing director in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And then I also sort of realized, oh my God, the, the leadership team is like the head of client service, the head of digital, the head of production, we're all female as well at this agency. And I thought, can we share this learning experience with other people? Can it be a mentorship? Um, And so I kind of presented this rough, loose idea to share this, I guess, exposure and female talent into with the industry. And Offer this mentorship program to people in the industry as part of International Women's Day, and she loved it. She really liked the idea, um, and she really liked the PRableness around it as well. So we briefed it into a creative team who came it up came up with the name of a sisterhood. It came up with a really quick brand identity put it on the website, PR'd the heck out of it over T- International Women's Day. And then we got five mentors from publicists connected with five industry up-and-comers that applied through a selective application process. And that was our first year. <laughs> so, yeah, like that first year was not like I just – basically shaped a program that like what I went in the industry at the time so it was like all we're trying to do is facilitate the matchmaking process and shine that light on like these amazing women and then these incredible like young talent coming through like just applied to be mentored by one of these people and I think that showed there were people that kind of came in with like two word applications or like said like I need help I want to be mentored and I'm like (laughs) SOS yeah "Yeah." haven't said anything about like what you're looking for like where you're at in your career but then we had some really lovely applications come through for like for example um we had a senior creative as a mentor and her mentee uh her uh, successful mentee wrote her like a really lovely poem essentially that said like why she thought that would be a perfect match and where she was in the industry and like She'd been following her career for a little while now, and done a little bit more digging, and so that's just that next level of understanding what you want, how you're going to get it, is like sets the bar, makes it. That's really awesome. different. Um,
0: yeah. So yeah. Uh, what type of people were applying, in were there specific themes that came out of the mentorship program? Like, were there you know key themes that people really needed help or advice on? Totally. Yeah.
1: Um, This year is our sixth year of a sisterhood. So we've got a lot of great data um, that we've been able to lean in to and do some research on, which is really great. We've had 160 matchups since our inception, which is in my mind, like incredible. Um, I'm just like, that's 160 people that we may have (laughs) catalyzed and, you know, reshaped their careers or like, you know, done some, um, had an effect in some way, which is really cool. Um, But one of the common themes is confidence. Um, mm. So, just I think when you're in that stage of your career, really early on, like between two to five years, you're starting to have conversations around performance review, salary progression. Yeah. You're comparing yourself to people in the job as well. You're probably starting to think, um, like, this is actually kind of hard. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> how do I how do I navigate all of this? So, confidence becomes a really big thing, and I think having someone that you can talk to that has done the path before in the chosen industry that you're in is really so powerful to have someone to say to you, hey, you're amazing. You're excellent. You've got this. Just go for it and see what Mm happens. And that like that moment of like having someone in your corner it has such a profound effect on someone because otherwise, if you don't have that person, you might have your friends or your colleagues that you can talk to, but it doesn't have the same resonance. Um, yeah. So confidence, I think, is a really big thing that people find within the program. Like people that come out of the program, like nine out of 10 people say their confidence was increased, which is mm. crazy. And then probably the other thing is that confidence leads to results. So like you then are brave enough to ask for promotions or ask for that big project, shiny project that you know that's coming in or you know put your hand up to do something extra or you know actually brave enough to maybe have the conversation around maternity leave and what you want around that. So, yeah, a lot of the time that increased confidence leads to better results. And I guess the community aspect of that, too, of like sharing those stories just creates this momentum wave of people being like, oh, you know, you did that, you didn't catch on fire, you're still alive, you didn't get fired. That's cool. Maybe I'll try it too. Yeah. (laughs) So, that community and confidence is um, what we're trying to cultivate. Um, And a lot of the time people don't have that community within their sort of agency sphere or professional sphere at that point. So those are the two things that we see as a common theme.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Were there any like challenges that you had personally um, going through the industry where you wish you had a mentor to support you through it?
1: I've been really fortunate to have mentors throughout my entire career, um, but unofficial, like maybe maybe coffees that I'd have, maybe like once or twice, but never like an actual mm. program, uh, like an actual like a, I've never gone through what a sisterhood has done, essentially. Yeah. Um, but apart from this year, where I was like, okay, it's time, it's time for me to go through and put myself in the shoes of a sisterhood mentee, so I can better understand nice. this program. So I went through that myself this year um, and it's really scary having a mentor (laughs) I'm saying (laughs) like (laughs) these are all the things that I want to do but I haven't really made steps towards making them happen slash how do I even navigate all of these things Um, slash this is what I'm dealing with at work at the moment. Is it me or is it like the workplace or is it blah? So, yeah, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, she was – amazing and was able to kind of help unlock all of that for me. She was kind of like, Lynn, you're amazing. You have all the answers already. You don't need me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I do. This is my, this is your accountability. <laughs> so um, that was really great. So I think it was really good to do that as a formalized structure to kind of see how, mm, yeah. um, how much like a, a a year's program can have in a moment of your life. But I've always had that sort of person or support, um, senior leader support along my mm. career journey. Like I've always been able to th- if I've been in a bit of a bind I always have had someone to be able to call and like hello long time no speak <laughs> um, but yeah would really love to have coffee or catch up or um, go on a like a walk or something so I can chat the thing that's going through my head and out with someone so yeah yeah
0: well on that what is your advice to get the most out of a mentor mentee relationship because I I think I've been in situations where, you know, you get set up with these relationships where you have a coffee once or twice and then it kind of ends there and then all you go into it and you don't know like what to do or what to say and things like that. So what's your advice for people to get the most out of those relationships? Mm,
1: Yeah, it's been something that we have tried to finesse um, over the last few years as well because naturally... Uh, every mentor is different and every mentee is different as well. And everyone has different styles, whether that's like weekly or fortnightly or like monthly or being available to have video calls or, you know, be, having coffee chats is really important. I think the the start starting, I guess, embers of a really great relationship is just be um, really clear on what your goals are. And I think if you don't have a clear goal, you can be honest about that and say like, I don't actually have really clear goals, but I kind of know that I want to do well in my job. Um, And then they can start to help shape that a little bit more and be like, I guess what are your strengths and weaknesses? Like let's supercharge your strengths and like, it's great to have self-awareness around your weaknesses. Awesome. Um, But let's like work on supercharging those strengths um, so that you can get ahead. But I think going in with goals and knowing kind of roughly where you want to go is really good. And then understanding I guess, frequency is another good thing as well. And then putting having self-discipline around accountability is probably the other thing as well because you can so easily lose momentum um, after a little while. And it's probably a good analogy with the gym. Like your first two sessions – Uh, the two sessions that you go to it's whether that first after that first week second week third week do you turn up right so yeah it's usually the third fourth and fifth milestones are the hardest to hit and that's where we see the highest drop-off rate so we try Mm -hmm. to create some accountability on our side with the team to check in and make sure that people have had their catch-ups or you know have you know ask them so how was the first session like what goals did you define um which goals are you working towards for the rest of the year just try to push that along a little bit more so yeah
2: yeah awesome well we know that a sisterhood um started in queensland but it's now in victoria and new south wales as well which is amazing what was the process of scaling the program to expand across these three states to where it is today
1: it's um it's, it's been a journey, um, a sisterhood really, like it started as a one woman, i.e. me, um, sort of mission (laughs) six years ago. And now we have an incredible team that works across like Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria as well. So the first sort of step really happened when, I moved down to Melbourne and we had to pick two chapter leads um, in Queensland to sort of look after the program. That was the first sort of step for us. I think at the time as well, I'd brought in sort of Polina, um, who's sort of my co-pilot on all things of sisterhood. Sarah and I were a really good team um, between the two of us and we had a high level of investment um, into the project. We met at Publicis um, and we only had like two months to work together, but we instantly connected. So, I think when wow. I left or had announced that I was leaving that agency, she was like, "Can I jump on this sisterhood thing as a way to work with you more?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, that would be amazing." Um, so yeah. So, her between her and the two chapter leads in Queensland and also at that point, it was probably the third or fourth year of a sisterhood at that stage. We had people that wanted to volunteer back their time to be part of the program in some way um, and so like that first team and the team that's grown to today was were probably made up of 75% of people that have been part of the program before so that mm. need or that want to give back in a way that's a, and to the program helped shape the team that we are here today. Um, I think moving down to Melbourne was and growing a sisterhood in Melbourne was easy because I physically moved down to Melbourne and could actually create the program here. Yeah, uh, But similar sort of approach, like we picked a chapter lead to take the reins on in Victoria in our second year this year. And with New South Wales this year, we'd had a pretty rough formula then. So didn't even I didn't need to move to Sydney to create a sisterhood in Sydney. Um, and we had yeah, a good onboarding process. We had a good system. Um, We had a good way of recruiting mentors as well. So bringing it to Sydney was good. We just needed to find another chapter lead to lead New South Wales. And I think Mm. um, I'd had such a great network when I was uh, part of Young Bloods, Um, so an ad council industry initiative for young people. Um, And I'd met Shah and she was incredible and excellent. And so she was the natural person to pick or New South Wales, which has allowed us to really think like, okay, like Paulina and I now sort of operate at a national level and sort of umbrella view across all the different states and think long term, what can we do? And also then have some quality control across all the different states and make sure we're doing things that are the same but also different, tailored to the different cities depending on what they need. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we have regular monthly calls between all, all the three states. So that's the way that we all connect as well. But, yeah. Amazing.
0: Well, what has been your biggest learning from the process of running a sisterhood you No know where it is now? Like
1: the biggest learning has been uh, other people's ideas are the best ideas. Yeah. My way of doing things is the best way for me. And I needed to embrace that with other people as well.
0: Was it hard to let go of control when you were getting chapter
1: leads on? Yeah, 100%. Like there's obviously certain things that have to be replicated, but otherwise it's just my role now is just empowering people and supporting people and saying like, yep, that's a great idea, run with it. So, and even if it's not a great idea, restraining myself and saying like maybe just give it a go and see what happens so I think that's the biggest thing for me today is just like letting people do what they want to do because if they don't feel like they have ownership or feel like they have empowered like they're not empowered or they don't have the trust to run and make decisions on their own then they're not going to put 100% into what they're doing so yeah When the deadline is really crunched, so I might step in on occasion, but (laughs) most of the time, it's like 99% of the time, it's like everyone's doing their own thing, which is really cool. Um, It's a really good place to be.
2: Are there any specific success stories that you're particularly proud of that you want to share? Oh, so many success stories. Um,
1: I'm going to pick a couple out and just say like, it's just past Ma- like mentor and mentee matchups that have been like gold, like that are next level. Like they're now like lifelong friends. Like mm. one of our mentees, um, her- she invited her mentor to her wedding. Like Aww. that's oh wow, you know, like just a next level sort of like connection but we've had some really great success in terms of just watching people's careers grow like mm. i think in that first year i know that it was like 6 years ago now but like um one of the girls used to be like a runner at a produ- like a small production house in brisbane but now she's like part of the accounting team um working on like hollywood blockbusters like with paramount wow. pictures in la so um yeah we've had like grand prix uh, 30 under 30 winners before amazing just like incredible people that have done amazing things since being part of a sisterhood um so like head of head of uk for this like research agency um called askable as well so yeah some really like proud mum moments um throughout (laughs) this whole process (laughs) and i like part of a sisterhood for me is also like creating my big community with all of this too so I like to connect with all the mentors and all the mentees that come through because I like to see how that all um yeah how sisterhood affects and impacts their careers Mm. um so yeah getting a chance to meet everyone for me it's been really great um and I think everyone's stories deserve to be heard and deserve to be told so yeah
0: um so those, those are some of my highlights for sure <laughs> oh that's amazing I just kind of side question do you have any advice for people who I guess for networking because I, I I talk to a lot of kind of people in my agency and like kind of more junior I guess employees they're kind of like oh I know networking's important but I don't like the idea of it. I don't know how to start. Like, do you have any advice? It sounds like it's something that you're like a skill of yours. So do you have anything to share, person? Like what advice you have for people wanting to network but not knowing how to start? Definitely, for sure. Um, there's a I
1: guess public speaking slash storytelling sort of coach that I follow. Um, her name's Kat Matson in Brisbane. She's really big on frameworks. One of the frameworks that I remember her saying and like that's really stuck in my mind is something called earn the right um, so earn the right to have a conversation or earn the right to be in the room and mm. it's really simple that framework it's like when you're in a networking situation you have three things to say to introduce yourself is that your name you're not gonna forget you're not yep. gonna forget that um, <laughs> what you do again pretty straightforward I'm a business manager special or well, I'm like the founder of a sisterhood and three, why you do the thing that you do. So with those three things, like you have a pretty easy lead in with my name is, I do this and this is why I do it. And generally you have a story to tell of why I do it. So like I created the sisterhood because I saw a gap in the market and wanted to create an industry mentoring program, blah, blah, blah. Or I created a sisterhood because I wanted to do something interesting for International Women's Day and this is how it came about. So with all those little like tricks, like um, you start to become more comfortable with talking about that. And that's a really easy way. Um, and generally people are interested in the why um, of your story. So that's my hot tip for networking and start small. Like I remember my first networking event that I did when I was at uni and I went I bought a ticket and went in and I was like, nah I can't do this and I left (laughs) Um, so (laughs) I didn't do any networking that first night but then reflecting on that exercise like that moment I was like "Mm, okay we're gonna do it we're gonna do this again because this is the way you get in so I set a goal to talk to one person so I talked to one person didn't catch on fire i was totally fine but i was like okay one i'm out i'm going and then but i just went through the practice of like trying to do a little bit more that's every awesome. single time yeah um so yeah start small uh practice um and yeah you'll get more, more momentum from there yeah i mean even buying the ticket was the first exactly. micro step <laughs> showing up <Yeah>. you know <laughs> so yeah you gotta start somewhere and that's the biggest thing so
2: yep yeah. Yeah. Such practical tips. I'm going to remember those three things because even now I I still hate networking. So I'm going to try that um, in my next event. Um, What can we expect to see from a sisterhood in the future? It's a really
1: good question. I think a sisterhood has grown to a point now where we're operating in the major, like the major cities in Australia, which is really cool and really exciting. So we're trying to optimize that offering and like optimize mentoring and that's really amazing and that's something that we think it's really important to do. But I think what's also really important is us storytelling, the importance of mentoring um, and showcasing those stories um, with people. So that's kind of what we want to continue to do because we want to create a reason why people should be part of the program and why people, or if we're not the right program, that's totally fine. And, but for you to create ways to do that yourself. Um, the other thing that we're trying to do is um, become independent and self-sufficient financially. So that's something that we're working on in the background as well. Um, We've become independent in the last two years, which is really great, Mm -hmm. um, but also really scary because now we have to find the money to self-fund and do the thing that we need to do. Um, But again, that gives us the power to do that and shape that so I think we're looking at opportunities that are overseas opportunities that are happening locally but also working with um really great partners and other similar initiatives like you guys um to just connect all of those sorts of things together so yeah just continuing to widen the net is what I kind of like to say so like instead of moving people up a ladder like how do we cast a wider net to bring up the next generation of
2: people. So, yeah. Cool. Well, to conclude, um, what can the industry do to help support underrepresented groups?
1: Ah, that's a toughie. Um, The industry as a whole, I think we sometimes forget and we probably do this in our day job so well for the commercial brands that we work on and not even commercial, like not-for-profit brands to tell a really compelling story. But I don't think we do enough to recruit young talent, fresh talent. It doesn't even have to be young and fresh, like different talent into the industry. Mm. So I think that is a big thing that we could all work towards, whether it's like a certain data point, like whether it's a certain number to work towards, whether it's like industry initiatives, like only one in the room and supporting them and doing what they can do, or how do we go forward into high schools and like further into the education system to actually showcase this, this is a really great industry to be a part of as well. Um, so yeah, that's where I'd like to channel my energy into next or channel other people's energy into next.
0: We hope to channel our energy into those streams as yeah. well. So hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see, like, we talked to so many people in the industry who really want to see change and have a lot of cool ideas on it. So I'm excited to kind of see where the industry lands in the next few years, because there's work in the background happening at the moment to kind of open up the advertising industry for underrepresented group, which is really exciting. Agree,
1: agree. And you guys are a big part of that. So um, yeah, we'll have to keep your eyes on you guys too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, And last question, I guess, what advice do you have for people juggling multiple side hustles and a full-time job like Mm, you are? It's a
1: really good question. Um, I think understanding what gives you energy um and making time for that is like a really big thing, whether like and you don't have to be exclusively an extrovert or exclusively an introvert. You can be ambivert, like you can tap into both sides. So I know that talking to people like yourselves really gives me a lot of energy. But at the same time, I can't do this every single weekend otherwise. Like let's not. <laughs> um so I think understanding what gives you energy carving out the time to do that but also understanding that yeah it's flexible and then writing it all down because if you don't track all of it you're gonna it's gonna fall out of your brain like you're gonna forget Mm. (laughs) and then you end up in the same place again so I think um yeah understanding that tracking it and then seeing and optimizing that
2: ongoing is um really important so yeah great advice well that is a really nice note to wrap up the conversation um but at the end of all our episodes we have something called dinner table questions and these are just like really rapid fire questions we've got three for you just to get to know you a little bit better so the first one is what type of person are you at um a party
1: oh That's tough. I'm the quiet person in the background. Um, I'm totally okay. I've been watching The Crown um, and I'm definitely like I'm not on the same scale of pretty and fame as diana but i'm like the person in the background that's like you know shy but then when you talk to me then yeah. i kind of open up with all my weird um so <laughs> that's me so i'd like to think i'm like that but obviously not the same style. are you are you in
0: the corner or like where are you situated in a party <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good one <laughs> same <laughs> all right the second one is what does a perfect day off look like to you <sighs>
1: A perfect day off would be starting the day with yoga at the start of the day to chill, find my zen, really good food, like maybe a brunch, like a long brunch afterwards. If I'm not feeling too full after that, going to a wine bar, really lovely wine bar, Ooh. and then a nice walk. And then some chill time in the afternoon as well. So yeah. All a lot of zen is the common beautiful, theme. Yeah, beautiful.
2: <laughs> Love that. Yeah. And the final question is, what is a hidden talent you have? Oh, guys, I don't have a hidden talent. Um, <laughs> I'm so
0: boring. Um, I
1: don't have a hidden talent, to be honest. So that's fine. Anything
0: quirky about you people don't know? Uh, about? I'm so
1: like I, when I go find something that I'm really into, I go really deep. Um, so Harry yeah. Potter. I didn't realize how much of a Harry Potter nerd I was until I went to London. I went to the film studios over there.
0: Oh, yeah, I've done that. (laughs) Yeah,
1: totally. But Eurovision is my other sort of thing that I'm really nerdy about. Okay. And sport is another thing that I'm really, like, next level nerdy on. You would be
0: good on a trivia team, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, I have definitely <laughs> have some
1: weaknesses like geography and music. I'm not strong in, but I make up for those in some other areas. But yes,
0: <laughs> love it. We've got to have you on our next trivia team <laughs>
1: <laughs> next time we're in Sydney. So yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Next time you're in Sydney, hit us up. <laughs> um, well, that wraps up our conversation. Thank you so much, Lynn, for joining us on the podcast. It's been really insightful chatting to you, and also really exciting. I think chatting to you about the initiative, like a sisterhood, that's happening in the industry it, makes, it keeps me really optimistic and yeah. motivated for what's to come for our industry so thank i'm you. really thrilled that we had the opportunity to talk to you and thank you for your time joining us today as well
2: thank you both for having me on the show we'll drop um all the sisterhood like links and stuff in the show notes so everyone can check out what the program is all about and see if it's kind of relevant to them um but thank thanks again no worries thank you. thanks all right bye, bye.
0: <laughs>